Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We've just been getting so much great feedback from the last couple episodes. And I just want to thank everybody uh, deeply for just being uh, part of this community and for spreading the word and sharing an episode you know with, you know, that one friend of your that just needs to hear that one message. And, you know, keep doing that. If you guys could just jump on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, just leave us a review. Or, you know, this conversation we're about to have I'm going to guess that sometime during this uh, conversation, you'll be like, you know what? I have a friend of mine that needs to hear that. So we have a, an amazing guest on today, Bruce McEver. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, John. Thank you. So in 1983, Bruce founded Berkshire Capital. He's one of the most probably uh, the go-to mergers and acquisition and consulting firms, specifically for financial firms, which is a really interesting space. And I know, Bruce, you lost your wife a few years ago. And, you know, as everything was coming together, you wrote this book called Many Paths. And I, I just want to write this little, read this little summary to you, to everybody, because this is what we're going to dig into, because I think this is something we need to be all thinking about. Uh, Many Paths is a crystal clear picture of what one person can do in this world if they are willing to work make sacrifices to achieve their goals, whatever they may be. And how many of us, you know, we have some of those big goals, those things we think about. We lay in bed at night, we look up at the ceiling, we're like, what if? And I got to tell you, what God has been challenging me to do recently is to actually think bigger and dream bigger. Because if I can do it on my own, I don't need to involve God in some of those dreams. So I've been praying for God to just stretch me, and he has significantly uh, and showing me what's next. And then, uh, Bruce, you write that wealth is a byproduct of finding our calling in life, or at least it can be. And for you, the scorecard is about more than money and accumulating wealth. It's about truth, the joy of finding one's place in the world, that place where all of our gifts and talents are on full display. And you know what? That's a place that I call in my book when I wrote it of convergence. Bruce, you know, when your skill sets, your passions, your values all intersect with that place that God has called you to be, those works that he's prepared. And like, you know, when you're in convergence and, um, you know, it's one of my biggest hopes and dreams through this podcast and through our platform to just activate people into that. We need more men and women of character on who are on fire to do the work, the business work in the world that God's inspired them to do, to lead companies and do big things. Because who doesn't want to work for somebody like that, first of all? But but with that, Bruce, could you bring us back a little bit, though, and just tell us a little about your story, your journey? Well, sure, John. Thank you so much. You know, it reminds me, one of my late wife's favorite songs was uh, the Shaker song, the simple song mm. that says, you know, we want to come down right is the whole thing to live simply and come down right to live in accordance with the world you know the Taoists believe that it's the world is in order it works it's just we have to get in sync with it you know it's out there nature is i'm looking at a beautiful piece of nature as i was telling you and i want to get right with that and right with the great spirit behind that anyway uh, where was the my history? I grew up in Atlanta, as I told you, 
Uh, my father was a Navy pilot and trained pilots at uh, Delta. So I grew up uh, on the south, the other side of the tracks. Uh, I went to Georgia Tech. I wanted to be an astronaut. I didn't make that, but I did make it out of Georgia Tech. You know, it was my goal to be an astronaut too, Bruce. It, it was, and, and <laughs> everybody kind of knows my story. I just applied to go to test pilot school, and I got hit with a line drive in the eye and had some nerve damage. That's why I had to get out of the Navy. Or, oh or maybe God. you and I would have both been uh, flying in the uh, you know the next uh, I know. mission to the moon. But it's so exciting what's going on. Uh, oh, it's yes. Have you ever been down for a space shot? No, I never had, but I did take my son. We, he and I flew down to Houston and toured NASA. We're in the control room where you like, you know, Apollo 13 happened. And right. oh my gosh, got to tour inside the space shuttle. And I was like a kid in the candy store. So I was down at uh, Cape Canaveral with Edgar Mitchell with a group called Noetics. And it was delayed like this, like this was, but it was really quite, it's extraordinary to be with him because he had a religious experience, as you know, on the way back and started a group called Noetics, which is uh, deals with consciousness. But he says more astronauts do have those religious uh, experiences than is admitted. Anyway, traveling with him, he said, you know, when I was looking at the earth, I, we look at it and we say, well, you know, I'm from this state or that state or whatever. He said, looking at it from outer space, you're going to say I was from the planet Earth one of these days, that our division is really so such an artificial thing. Anyway, but that was Edgar Mitchell's viewpoint. You know, I could just imagine that you look at all the acrimony today, right? I, I have personally chosen to turn off I have. the news. I read the Wall Street Journal, I read Financial Times, and I have a website that kind of summarizes headlines, but I just, the negativity, the acrimony, but you look at it from space, you know, it's a good, like, what's God's view? You know, he looks at all this and, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, when people get stressed out, I'm like, you know what, have you, did it ever occur to you that nothing occurs to God? Everything that's happening right now, he's like, guys, trust me, I have a plan. Right. It all works out. And you know what? That is something I have to focus on every day, Bruce. You know, running a company, hiring people, making decisions in this environment, being a father, being a husband. I mean, our lives are complex and they're all woven together. And, you know, we just have to do the best we can each day. And God is, I believe, right there helping us in the middle of that to be able to do that. Well, I think I had a viewpoint. You have to get sort of on the top of the mountain and look down. Mm. I worked for the chairman of Payne Weber, Don, Donald Maron, and for two years I had could have any consultant or whatever. I could see what was going on in the financial. It was the time of the end of interstate banking and the end of Glass-Steagall, and you oh, yeah. could see this consolidation about to happen, and I was trying to figure out for how I could help people through that consolidation. And I had a breakfast with a very astute guy, Maurice Shapiro, who had done the merger of the Chase and Manhattan Bank. And for that, he had the top floor of the Chase and Manhattan Bank building. And we were having we were having breakfast. He advised me, he said, you know, you don't want to be, there's a big war that's coming. There's a big battle. And he said, you don't want to be on either side with either side of the Indians on the at that battle. What you want to be doing is supplying the bows and arrows 
for that confrontation. He said, be an advisor. <laughs> so anyway, that's the, I was trying to figure out which side of the, in, in the financial services world, you know, what it was I should provide. Yeah. I was trying to be an advisor, be a neutral, objective advisor. So many of the big banks and everything uh, were providing materials, selling bonds, selling product and stuff. I wanted to just sell advice mm. or provide advice. And so that's when I started Berkshire. And we decided to focus initially on securities firms, but the Glass-Steagall legislation didn't go down that soon. So we really started working on asset managers. All right, Bruce. So, you know, you're working with some of the biggest firms in the entire financial world, and you have this vision to start your own firm, which becomes Berkshire Capital. What was the vision that you stepped out and said, okay, I'm going to start my own firm based on this big idea? Well, I had some really good advice. I did. I had, I was just had this burning desire to be an entrepreneur. And I was trying to figure out how to do that among the Wall Street giants. And I figured, you know, being neutral would probably be my biggest advantage. That is sort of like in mathematics, being zero, <laughs> being in the middle, being the thing that people could come to and objectively get advice. Uh, I had a very famous guy named Maurice Shapiro who did the mer he, he was a bank advisor. He was an MIT mining engineer and uh, started buying bank stocks and did the merger between the Manhattan Chase. And because of that, they gave him the floor, the second floor of the Chase Manhattan Bank building. It's where his offices were. So we had breakfast one morning. And he was telling me, he said, you know, there's a big battle coming when they pull out interstate banking and Glass-Steagall. Uh, it's going to be a huge consolidation among financial institutions. And I was trying to figure out how to represent people and help people through that. And uh, he said, you know, you don't want to be on either side of that battle. You don't want to be in the, on the opposing forces. What you want to do is provide the uh, bows and arrows to the opposing, opposing forces. You want to provide the advice. And I thought that was just incredible advice and try to figure out, you know, what was the advice that I wanted to do? And I figured as a neutral element, that is not being selling something, uh, bonds or, you know, products or something, and just offering objective advice, uh, we could actually survive among these giants. And so that's what we did. We set out to advise companies uh, during the mergers and also advise the big ones on, you know, who they ought to select to, you know, fill out their portfolios and fight this, fight this uh, coming war as size and such becomes a big component, the size of what the money that you have under management. Yeah. And so this has been almost, almost 40 years, right, Bruce? This has been going to be our 40th next year. Next year is our 40th and it's going to be a big year. So okay. So I want to bring you back a little bit, right? Because I know right now you're a global company. You're doing some of the biggest work. I mean, you guys are known. You got, you know, uh, a dozen partners. But bring us back 20, 30 years, right? Because like I shared with you, I'm making a transition and I'm now president of a registered investment advisor. We are growing. We are focused on, you know, building an entire practice, kind of like what you did 40 years ago. So if you can remember back then, you know, what were some of the maybe the 
challenges, the hurdles that you had to overcome? Was it building the team, creating the culture, figuring out where you fit in the marketplace and how to talk about it? I'm I'm just curious, right? My mind's kind of bouncing around here a little bit. Well, it's the whole thing of team building. You just cannot do it without building. I've had a great partner, Bruce Cameron. He and I worked together from the beginning. He was my assistant with Don Marin. He now runs the firm, has done an incredible job. But we, we've had some wonderful partners over time, Ted Good and John Stern. We just had a partner, Hoyt Amadon, who passed away. Mm-hmm. So I've always had a good team members. The biggest step, for, one of the big hurdles was globalization. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, the money management business, you had 60-40, you know, just bonds and stocks, and it was all U.S. And it was picking. <laughs> it was just basically stock picker. You didn't do international investing. International investing was done around Charlotte Square up in Edinburgh. That's where you started it. And uh, I had actually been an analyst. I'd lucked into at being an analyst at Investors Overseas Service, IOS, one summer in Geneva, and I could see they were trying to do international investing. This is before the scandal. And uh, you could see how it worked. You could see that these people in Scotland had the right idea to invest internationally, that it was really ubiquitous market. And so I was trying to convince them to sell part of their firms to U.S. firms, and of course, they wouldn't hear of it. And eventually, the U.S. firms learned international investing themselves and went around them. Yeah. But that whole thing was to, it was really to be international. And so we were trying, the hardest thing was as a small firm to, to you know, start a London office. We had advisors, but we couldn't get anybody to go, a full-time person to go over there. And then one of our, our Glenna Webster, one of our early partners, uh, lady partners, uh, married a guy over there and she came in to quit one day. <laughs> I said, you can't quit. You're going to open the office in London. She goes, what? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to quit. We'll pay for you, you to move. Don't have to quit. We'll pay for the whole thing. You <laughs> and uh, so we took it a step at a time. And the other thing was we had to get out to Asia. But we, the, the clients were all global and were having to invest globally, and we had it to be globally. Luckily for us as a small firm, um, of course, the money market that's in Tokyo, it's in Shanghai, it's in the larger cities that this takes place. But anyway, so one of the real challenges was being global. You have to do that. And as a small firm, that's that's hard to do. We've got some good international partners. Well, you know, I'd, uh, so many questions I'd love to ask you. Here's one that I'm sure is front of mind for a lot of people listening right now is our company, Alpha Principle, was founded because our founder was looking ahead three years ago and said, we are seeing an economic hurricane. Interest rates are going to be rising. We're going to have inflation. Geopolitically, things are changing. He's looking at the stock market. And you've been through something like this, right? Are we going to be in stagflation? You know, uh, Jimmy Carter called what we're in right now a malaise. I think that's probably pretty appropriate. But that said... Right. Business owners are looking ahead. They're trying to make decisions right now about how to navigate their company, how to make decisions, how to hire as we go through kind of a probably an economic season that many people haven't been through, I think, through something like this that might be just 
you know, extended periods of just underperformance. But what are your thoughts on that? First of all, on what are you thinking about the economy? And then second, let's kind of talk about as a business owner right now, um, what are some things you need to be thinking about as you make decisions? How's that sound, Bruce? I think the crucial decision is the people mm. and who you get to be your team, just the character of, of the people. I think good people will always sort of figure it out. It is amazing when I get my partners together and they get in a room and try to work on a problem, they inevitably figure it out. I believe in the intelligence of man at all levels. I mean, when I was in the military, I had people at all levels and just letting them do their job. If they know what they expected of them, what they've got to do, and you let them do it and figure it out, it is amazing. You know, I think uh, you come with a suite of, it's like an opera, putting together an opera. That's what you're doing, running a business. And you're letting these various people with various talents sing at the right time. <laughs> it's trying to figure out how they sing is what you've got to do. Uh, being married to an opera singer once. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, well, let me summarize. You know, I think you are so spot pre, on. They're prima donnas. They're prima donnas. Yeah, the, pr the prima donnas, right? The, the, yeah, the divas. The divas, right. So a friend of mine, Walt Rakowicz, CEO of a huge company that was almost devastated in the 2008 crash, public company, he credits their surviving and getting through 100% Bruce to the team. And he had to go to that team and say, guys, guess what? I'm the CEO, but I don't know what to do next. We are all absolutely going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to trust each other. We're going to make decisions that are going to be wrong. And nobody here can say, I told you so. We have to say, if we make a decision, we need to circle back and go, okay, what did we do well in making that decision? What did we learn so that as a group, we can make the next decision a little bit better. And folks, if we do that as a team, we're going to get through that. And that was his focus every single day through 2008, 9, and 10. And they emerged and they emerged well. And I think, you know, that level of leadership, I think that humility, that faith in your team, just truly trusting them is something that's uh, like you just talked about is a lesson for all of us to be thinking about right now in this period of time. We have to know who that team is. I mean, you yeah. do have to understand your team and who, who's playing and how, how to direct their talent. You just can't let it run wild. But understanding that and letting people do this thing. I mean, you know, this inflation or whatever's going on is because you put too much money in the system. I mean, duh. And I think we've been debasing the currency for a long time. I'm a hard money man. Yeah, I think we've totally debased and we're going to, Hopefully we can pull that in. I don't know. We won't let uh, nature take its course. That is that when the storm comes, some trees go down. It used to be the case. I went through the crash. Of, I was a technology analyst in mm. 73 and 74. I was there in the 80s and 2000 and whatever. These things occur. So, you know, and they clean the system is what happens. But you got to sort of get out of the way. I don't know what's going on now, whether this is, you know, final leg down or what. I doubt it just because I think there's too much money in the system. But again, I think you have to trust your people to and understand them to get you through this.
Yeah, and you said it has to be, you know, kind of like that right team, you know, identifying, you know, like uh, Jim Collins so adroitly said, right, the right person on the right seat on the right bus. Exactly. How did you do that? Especially in today, I, you know, I have so many friends of mine, they're business owners, they're trying to hire people. They're, you know what, they're not even getting applications anymore. It's an interesting time. I just tell you from a hiring standpoint, I have never personally relied, this is my advice for everybody listening, on Indeed and LinkedIn jobs posting. I took my job as CEO, talent development, meeting new people, networking, finding those people that could be part of my team as one of my top priorities. I put as much effort in that as I did in sales because I knew that next. So just think about that, everybody. But Bruce, what did you do? I to really kind of find those great people. It was, it was person to person. Yeah. I mean, I, I am unfamiliar with using text and whatever, and you, which is now, and with the pandemic, you have to use that. So it's, it's unfamiliar territory. I wouldn't know quite how to navigate it. I navigated it all personally. When we were doing mergers, you had to meet with someone. Someone's not going to say, I'm going to sell my company unless you're in front of them. And, you know, somehow my team has survived with Zoom and uh, meetings like this. Mm -hmm. But I really prefer the personal because you've got so many transmitters. Your body has got so many receptors, you know, that you you just have an instinct about people. So I don't know how you do it over the two. <laughs> you try. Yeah. I would love to meet you sometime, John. <laughs> no, well, you know what? I'll fly out with my son and we'll and we'll walk your see. property. I want to meet him. I, I we have really got some environmental problems now too. I uh, would love to do that. Well let me ask you this as we kind of wrap up here because um we'll have to have a second conversation because you know, a lot of people think of us, you know, you're in finance, you've built a business, right? Which tends to be, you know, kind of that left brain type. But you're also a poet. I read some of your poetry. It's beautiful. You're an author. Um, and you have this uh, really beautiful balance of, I think, like how you think, right? You have a degree in divinity from Harvard. And you're also, you know, one of the kind of the titans in the financial pillars. Um, it's this beautiful balance. And how about this? As we kind of wrap up, Bruce, what is your advice for people out there to really bring their whole person, their creativity, their, you know, the fullness of how they think and how they show up into the world and not just get pigeonholed in one little area? Um, I don't know whether it's through meditation or prayer or whatever, but you really got to understand what's inside of you. And you understand that that something is so vast and there's so many different parts. I mean, my business self, the, the engineer brain, whatever it was that started and built that company runs over the poet. And mm -hmm. so I have to back off and listen to that poet. Sometimes it's letting all the parts out. I mean, we have fortunately or unfortunately the whole opera inside of us, and it's listening to those. It's like a team of people that's listening to all those parts. What was happening with me, you know, I've always been a seeker. And halfway through, you know, I had a midlife crisis. And it was, um, you know, a spiritual quest that I was looking for. I, mean, I went mm -hmm. to India, you know, 
I was trying to find myself. I was trying to, that poet was trying to come out and write. And when it did, it was like I discovered myself. And I was just so overjoyed that I, you know, yeah, this is it. I was trying to say something. I was trying, we all have this expressive, creative self, and you got to let that out. So in my case, it was writing. I so admire people that can compose music and paint and, mm. or musicians. I mean, I live with a musician. I live with a very creative person for 30 years. And I mean, she was creating all that. She would come up with the damnedest ideas. It was just amazing. But she was always, you couldn't keep her off stage. So I sort of watched creativity. And I think she was the one who eventually sort of recognized the poet and pull that out. Anyway, it's there. You just have to let it out. You've got to give it space. So I don't know, journaling. I mean, one thing that helped me a lot was sort of midway in life, I began keeping journals. And that's how actually I wrote many paths is I had the material, I had the background out of those journals. Wow, that's awesome. I was able to write my first book out of uh, journaling, writing short posts, uh, my podcast interviews, things, right? And I think you just express that creativity. And all of a sudden, you have like almost like this body of work. And you're like, oh, wow, that you know what, there's something here. And that and then all of a sudden, it gets pretty exciting. Right? Yeah, what do I do with it? Yeah. Um, So how do people find the book? How do people connect with you, Bruce? BruceMcEver.com. I think there's a website. But yep. the, the book is uh, with CNR Press okay. uh, on Amazon. And uh, if you uh, don't have, oh, I should have their, their Zoom link here. Uh, well, I'll get all the links in the show notes for everybody for great. the book on Amazon and Books a Million and Barnes and Noble and your website. And uh, Bruce, uh, thank you for being here. I really look forward to our next conversation, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much, John. You have been through uh, hell, and I really admire uh, what you've been able to accomplish. So anyway, keep up your good work. And <laughs> thank you. If I would just advise, see if people can get a copy of the book and just start reading. I think it'll grab you is what happens. Yeah. Well, I've read some of your poems, and they're fantastic. So all right, man, keep up the great work. Same to you. God bless you. <laughs>